we uh, began back in January looking at a new series on the attributes of God, which really, as a whole, we were discussing knowing God. Knowing God. And I presented it in the beginning as, as a quest, as a, uh, a challenge, as a journey to begin on. And for some of you, um, you know God. At least you know God in the manner of salvation. For we know that, as Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, as a part of His high priestly prayer for us, the saints, that this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you sent. That the definition of eternal life is knowing God. It's not saying a sinner's prayer. It's not being baptized. It's not going to church. It's not being good. It's knowing God. And I remember years ago, many, many years ago now, actually, when I first encountered that, I was just blown away. And I was looking at it in the Greek, and it's when the the impact of those different words for to know became really significant in my life. And we've talked about the fact that there is the word oida, which it means to know factually. And you know, for 23 years, I factually knew about God. I knew he was God. There's no doubt in my mind he was God. I didn't debate that at all. I knew that Jesus was God. I knew that Jesus had come to the earth and that he had died for sins. I knew that he was placed in a tomb and I knew that he was raised from the dead. I knew all that. But I didn't know him. And God brought into my life the reality is that if I couldn't live to my own standards, I could never live to his standards. And I was trusting my standards. I was trusting my goodness. And if I was going to die at that moment, I wasn't going to be in his presence. I was going to hell. Because I didn't know him. And so we talked about the illustration of the the person who is on the roof. And they can be discussing with detail, the scientific applications and understandings of the the concept of gravity. But it's when they take the step too far to the side and they begin to experientially understand and know what gravity is all about. Now they know gravity in a different manner. Do you know God? Do you know Him? As we've gone through this study, I've challenged myself as well as challenging you that we would not just use it as a study tool about God, to know more about God, but to be the quest to know God better, as it hopefully is a quest of yours, or at least it was when you first got married, to know your spouse better. Now, some of you are looking to your other spouse, not necessarily physically, but in your mind you're thinking, so what happened? You know, you, you said that before we got married, and now it's kind of like strangers living in the same house, you know? We just have a contract. 
And you know what? Sometimes it can be that way with us with God. You came to Christ. You said you wanted to know him. But then over years, you become complacent. Just commonplace. God's always there. He's the big guy upstairs watching out over me. Be careful. And so the question is, do you want to know him better? For those of you who say that you know him, do you want to increase in the knowledge? Peter said, but grow in grace and in the intimate knowledge, the gnosko, the intimate knowledge, the relational knowledge, the experiential knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you seeking to grow in that relationship? Well, as we have gone through this concept of knowing God, we first start talking about the existence and the exclusiveness of God. God is, and that he is the only God. And then we talked about the composition of God, that God is one God, but yet that he has represented himself, he has revealed himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each equally God, and yet within the Godhead there is this subordinate um, hierarchy that goes on, but yet it is not three gods, it is one God. And then we began looking at the attributes of God, and in this we looked at his natural attributes, we considered the vocational attributes, and now we're into the moral attributes of God. In the natural attributes of God, we considered the fact that God is sovereign, that God is limitless. Um, we talked about that as far as his knowledge. We talked about that as far as his power, his presence, and all that stuff. We talked about his vocational attributes and the fact that he is the creator God, he is the judge of the earth, and he is also the savior of men. Those are the things that he has done that he is known by. And last week, we began looking at moral attributes. And by the concept of moral attributes, we talk about those things of God that define his character, in his conduct. And I mentioned that this first attribute that we began to look at last week, really I would put more, I would put more in the natural attributes section because it is the defining attribute of who he is, and that is he's holy, the holiness of God. It is this overarching of these things. God is holy, and in this we, we looked at the definition of what holiness means. And the, the word in the Hebrew means to be sanctified or to be consecrated, which all means to be set apart. To be set apart from all other things. And so we talked about in the, in, the, in the original languages, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, as well as the Aramaic, that in order to, to, to really um, to highlight, to, to, to show, to reveal the intensity of something, words would be used multiple times. And so, for God, we see in the degree of it that we're told um, that God is not just holy, and God is not just holy, holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. And so, God is not just, if you would, using good, better, and best. He's not just good, holy. He's just not better, holy. He is best, if you would, holy. And we challenged ourselves last week, or I challenged myself, and hopefully you were challenged in the midst of that, asking, what are you? Would you even describe yourself as holy? Would others describe you as holy? Would you even come to the place where you're holy, holy? And clearly we're not what? Holy, holy, holy. But God has called us to be what? Holy, even as he is holy. We're told that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. How much darkness? 
none. Not a speck of darkness is within God. It refers to his holiness. It refers to his purity. And I ask the question, how much, how much darkness are you willing to accept in your life? Using the illustration we talked about in Sunday school as well about, about the omelet with the eggs. How many, how many bad eggs are you willing to throw into the, the mix of your omelet and still eat it? You know, you got a group of a dozen people coming over. You need 24 to 36 eggs to make this big thing. And as you're cracking the eggs, you know, you've got 24 eggs already into it. And you crap this egg and you, and, and you put it in and it's green. I mean, it's bad. And you just cracked it into it. And you say what? It's just one out of 36. No one will ever know. You stick it in the blender and <laughs> add a little vanilla or something else to it to change the color. And, you know, and, and, and you make this nice souffle for everybody. And no one ever knows. Still a couple hours later, right? <laughs> and they all get together and try to figure out why they're all sick at the same time. They all had your souffle. Anyways. Now, we understand that. We say, oh, that's just, that's raunchy. That's bad. You wouldn't do that. And yet we do that with our spiritual walk. We do that in our spiritual life. So the question is, how many bad eggs are you willing to accept? What, what percentage of darkness are you willing to receive into your life? God says, he's holy, holy, holy. In him is no darkness at all. And he calls us to be like him. His holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. We talked about the fact that God's love is a holy love. It's a love that is set apart. It's not like our love. God's love is true agapao love. And we'll talk about this in a few weeks when we get into the love of God. But just suffice it for here, there are three major forms of love. There is the agapao love, there's the phileo love, and there's the eros love. Eros is where we get our word erotic from, it's all selfish. It's all about me. I love you for what you do for me. Phileo is that brotherly love, you know, like Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. That's what it means, Delphos. Adelphos is brother. And actually, Adelphi is, is sisterly, so maybe it's a city of sisterly love. Anyways, but, but Adelphos is brother, and, and the Phileo is, is the love. And so it's a brotherly kind of love, and it means I'll do anything I can for you unless there's only enough for me or you, then I hope you have somebody else who can help you out. Because it's mine. But agapao love, agape love, says, I love you more than I love myself. Your, your value and your need is more important than my value and my need. And if there's only one shirt to wear, it's yours. If there's only enough food to eat, it's yours. And that's the love that God has for us. It's a set-apart love. It's a holy love. It's not a wimpy love that says, well, you can do whatever you want because I love you. No, it's a, it's a tough love. It's a strong love that says, I want what is best for you because I really love you. And that's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because God is a holy God. He's a set-apart God who cannot have sin in his presence. But God desires for you to be in his presence. But because you're a sinner and you can't be in his presence, he had to find that way, he had to plan the way so that you could be brought back into fellowship with him so that the sin could be paid for. And so before the foundations of the world were laid to appease, if you would, to, to, to bring you back to that set-apartness that had to be to be in his presence, he then determined that that perfect sacrifice would have to be himself. 
and that he would come to be incarnate, Jesus Christ. To be the sacrifice for your sin. And so I say the greatest verse on the holiness of God is John 3.16. It doesn't say holy at all, but it's all about God's holiness. It's all about his set-apartness. Because if he was just love without holiness, without justice, without righteousness, it doesn't matter. Just come on in. Come as, come as you what? Come as you are. Isn't that what we say for churches now, right? Just, just come as you are. It don't matter. Easy believism. Now, I'm not saying we need to have a, a listing of legalistic things on the door, but sometimes we, we go a little bit too far on the side of, you know, that, you know, uh, having no standards. And we just say, yeah, just, 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 just be who you are. Well, I want you to be who you are, but I, who, I, who you are is I want to be in, in a holy manner. Does that make sense? And then we looked at the application of God's holiness. And then we talked about in our desire that God's holiness should be applied in our life and our desire to worship him. And that is that God's holiness, being the overarching attribute of who he is, is, the, is that part of God that should cause us to have the greatest desire to praise him. And so we're told in the Psalms to worship the Lord in the beauty of his, of his holiness. This morning we read Psalm 99. And how many times the nations are told to tremble and how many times we're told to worship the Lord at His footstool because, first of all, His name is holy. Then we're told that He is holy. He is holy. I mean, there is no other attribute where God is cried out in that superlative way. Holy, holy, holy. Where in the Scriptures are we ever told that God is love, love, love? God is just, just, just. And as we found out from... Tracy in Sunday school, just what? <laughs> Anyways, but he's just, just, just. How about his jealousy? We, we read about his jealousy this morning, too, that God is a jealous God, didn't we? And so God is jealous, jealous, jealous. We don't see that. But what we see is that God is what? Holy. 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 And it is that attribute which even the, the seraphim and the cherubim surrounding his throne, cry out that God is not like man. God is unlike his creation. God is unlike anything else. He is set apart, set apart, set apart, sanctified, 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 consecrated, consecrated, consecrated. He's holy, holy, holy. What about you? What about me? What about my worship? Do I truly worship him in the beauty of his holiness? But secondly, what we want to look at today, as we go through it, um, it's going to be applied in our desire to reflect him. Now, I, I have a statement, which is really a question up here, and that is that the greatest form of praise, compliment, or flattery is imitation. That's exactly right. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and if you would, the greatest form of praise. It's the greatest form of compliment. We joke and we laugh in seminary about um, pastors, um, preacher boys, whatever, who don't need glasses, but they'll get a pair of glasses or whatever because their they're, they're famous preacher had glasses. And, and he'd take the glasses off put them on, and he'd take them off, and it just kind of fling them around, and it just made him into a 
a great preacher was the fact that he had glasses and he put them on and off. And so these guys who didn't even need glasses, I wish I could say that I'd known he doing this for show. Anyways, it's clearly not show. And, um, but they'd buy glasses. So they could have these glasses on and they can take them on and off while they're preaching. Well, that's kind of silly. But it really is a compliment to the individual that they're seeking to mimic or imitate because they felt that that individual was what? Worthy of reflection. Worthy of imitation. What do you think about God? Do you even think about God? Assuming you do. What do you think about God? How worthy is God of your reflection? How worthy of God is how worthy is God of your of your imitation? Now we know that God called us to do what? To be holy, even as He is holy. And so this desire to reflect Him is nothing more than a calling that God has upon us. God has called you to be holy. I'm not asking you to to, to rise above something and to, 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 to go to the next level. This isn't a next level. This is a basic New Testament command. And this isn't based upon the law. We're going to look at some Old Testament verses here. But this comes from the New Testament. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. Let's look at some verses. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4, we'll begin reading at verse 1 for the context, but very clearly, verse 3 and 4 are the verses that we're looking at. If you're there in Ephesians 1, we begin reading that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. Does anybody know what that word saint is in the Greek? What's the Greek word? Come on, guys. Some of you know it. Go ahead, Christopher. What is it? Say it real loud. Okay, the singular is hagios, and so the plural is what? Hagioi. Isn't that awesome? Ten years old. Come on, you can do this. You guys can do this. We'll offer Greek again if somebody else wants to take it. Okay? And, and, and Christopher, since you're the one who's, who's doing this, we're picking on you. What does hagios mean? Well, it doesn't mean holy. Literally, what does it mean? What are we talking about? To be set, to be set apart. To be set apart. To be consecrated. To be sanctified. We bring it into English as... Holy. And so this word saints really is the properly translated holy ones. Holy ones. Set apart ones. Consecrated ones. Isn't this kind of interesting? So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the set apart ones who are in Ephesus. And if you would, because God is holy, to the God-like set apart ones who are in Ephesus. Isn't that kind of a new twist on that one, huh? In faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, that we should be set apart, that we should be like Him, and without blame, before him 
in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. God has called us before the foundations of the world, even when he established that he was going to come and pay the penalty of sin. When he did that, he did it so that we could be holy. Do you get it? It wasn't so we could be okay. It wasn't so that we could just have fire insurance and we could have security that no one could remove us from his hand and so therefore in his hand I can play with all the darkness I want. But he did it all so that I can be holy. Now I understand that theologically, remember what we talked about the difference between theology and theog? Anybody remember? Theognosis. Good, good, good. Anybody putting it in print yet? Remember, you've got to put this in print. You've got to say it a couple times. That way it can be put in the dictionary, okay? Because it's a new word. I made it up. And so we've got to put it in, in print so that, so that we can put it in the dictionary. And maybe they'll say it was first coined at Family Bible Church and da 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 da. But the difference between the study of God, theology, and the knowing of God, theognosis. We're not called to study God, we're called to know God. Do you get it? And so, many, so theology is a good word, it's just that it, it becomes so dry and so, so studious sometimes, and, and we miss out on the, the intensity and the intimacy that God really wants from us. Yes? Okay? And so God then didn't do all that so that I could study him out. God planned all that before the foundation of the world so that I could have a relationship with him and that I could reflect him. He wants me to be set apart. Set apart. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, I have verse 6 up here this morning in Sunday school. Again, I love how God has been interweaving some of the Sunday school going through the book of Nehemiah with some of these things that we've been looking at as far as his attribute goes. And so we read verses 1 through 6 this morning, but Suffice it for here, verse 6, it says, For you are a holy people, a people that are what? Set apart. You are a set-apart people to Yahweh your God, Elohenu. You are a set-apart people. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound similar to what we just read in Ephesians chapter 1? The same thing. God called the nation of Israel to be set apart so that the rest of the world would know that he was God because they would look to Israel as a nation and they would see Israel doing things that were what? Different. That they weren't being conformed to the world, but rather they were worshiping the true God, the one and only true God. They were setting apart a certain day to glorify him. They were abstaining from certain ways of life, and they were not going to the high places. The sad thing is, is they blended in, and they became like the world. They didn't drive out the nations that were before them, the, 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 the Girgashites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the termites, that loved to eat up our spiritual lives. They left them there. This week, as we were working on the one house, I ripped, you know, as we were doing drywall, these little black 
pebbly things kept raining down on us. If you've never done that before, it's a sure sign that there are palmetto bugs and other critters up above because those are the droppings. And so as I yanked off the top piece, I was waiting. Because you know what I found, right? I found the colony. And they were all over the board, and I'm running it out of the house so I can throw the, the sheet of drywall out of the house. And then I ran back in and asked the guy for his bug spray so I could take it out. I don't know why I did that. I could have just put new drywall up. No big deal, right? I mean, who cares about a couple bugs in the, in, the, in, the, in the wall? I mean, once you put the drywall up, you what? You don't see it anymore. And that's why we're taking care of the other bathroom, you know, because as we had to work on the laundry, because there was problems with the laundry, and, and Chris had to cut out some of the, the, that, I wanted to make the hole bigger so I could use a whole sheet of drywall and put it in nicely. And as I did that, we exposed some nice fuzzy stuff on the back side of the, the hall bathroom drywall. But again, once you put the drywall up, it's no big deal. It was behind the cabinet in the, in the hall bathroom. No one would ever know. Now, a lot of you are looking at me like, just think what God thinks of your life sometimes. The things that we're, we, we're okay with putting in the closet, the things that we're okay of hiding in the walls. And we go, it's a little bit of, you know, pretty fuzzy stuff. You know, I mean, I mean, tennis balls are green and fuzzy, aren't they? I like playing with those. So what's the difference between mold? If you have a mold allergy, it's pretty bad, huh? And you know what? You should all be allergic to sin. We should all have sin allergy. Amen? I mean, we get around sin, we ought to be sneezing and coughing. And I mean, I was praise the Lord that Gabrielle had a, a lozenge this morning because after we're done leading the singing in the beginning, my throat was running dry. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to this, but I'm al- almost thinking that this is the time of year. Normally it happens in February, but things have been running later this year that I'm going to lose my voice this week. And God's timing is always perfect because I'm going to be gone the next two Sundays. So, I, so I'm, 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 I'm looking ahead thinking, okay, God, are you, are you work this all out because I'm going to be gone and I'm going to lose my voice over these next two Sundays. And if he does, that's what an awesome God, you know, to have all that timing to go in. It, it, always, it always works that way. I think it was last year I had a special speaker coming in on a certain Sunday, and it was that week that I lost my voice. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. So anyways, God has called us, as he called Israel, to be set apart so that the world can look at your life. And it's different. It's not like everybody else's. And that they may know that there is a God And then you may have the privilege of leading that person to that God who loves them and died for them. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, turn there with me. We see this reiteration of the Old Testament challenge given to us as believers. Beginning at verse 13. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Isn't that interesting to think? You know, when they girded up their loins, the idea is that they were going to run, that they were going to do something, that they weren't, it wasn't just they were sitting around and, and, and loafing. They were about to do something. So they're girding up their loins. Gird up the loins of your mind, 
Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. In most of your conduct. In just a little bit of your conduct. Is that what he says? What does he say? In all your conduct. What does your say, Ben? All that you do. So be holy in what? Everything. You know, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, except for if you're playing baseball. Because, you know, this is just baseball. I hate hearing that when I go to these games. It's just baseball. It's just football. It's just basketball. It's just this. It's just that. In other words, it's... It's just, 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 isn't it? It's just, it's just. You know, in other words, I don't have to be holy. I don't have to glorify God here because this isn't that. This is something different. No, I don't think God put exclusions out there. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, in everything you do. Can I play baseball hard? Can I play baseball hard? with intensity. Can I play baseball to win? 100% I better. Because God's called me to win, hasn't he? I mean, he's called me to press toward the mark. He's called me to to continue to pursue it. So in everything I do, I want to what? I want to win. And I'm going to play with great intensity. But I'm going to play with holiness as well. Set apartness. With godliness. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to try to take out the, the, the hitter and, and, and beat him because he hit a home run last time. I'm not going to spike the guy covering second base just because. I'm not going to try to hurt the catcher as I barrel into home plate just because I want to take him out of the game. I may take the, the shortstop out. That's part of the game. But I'm not going to spike him as I do it. I may have to barrel into the catcher because he's blocking the plate. And that's just, that is part of the game. But I'm not going to do it in a manner that what? I'm trying to hurt him. Do you get it? There's a difference. And it's amazing to me how many believers don't get it. They think in order to be holy, you've got to be passive. Jesus was meek. But do you know what meekness is? Strength under control. It's having the power but having the control not to use it abusively. I, on the other hand, if I was Christ, you wouldn't be here. I mean, those guys that went to arrest me in the garden, they might have probably been zapped, you know. I mean, think about it. The same Jesus who allowed himself to be offered on the cross is the same Jesus who's going to come back in the end and he's going to destroy the nations with the word of his mouth. He's got power. But it's holy power. It's set-apart power. It's sanctified power. And God has called me to be holy in all my conduct, even as he is holy. Why? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Jump over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 here. First Peter 2, verses 1 to 5. He says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now, you get it? In other words, if you have any concept of what does it mean to be really holy and pure, he's starting to tell you these are some of the things you've got to jettison for that to happen. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of God's word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have tasted of the grace of God, then as a newborn babe, desire God's word. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Why? Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a what? Holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 9, where he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy people. He's not talking to Israel. That same statement that was made to Israel is being applied to who? To the church. It's to us. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. You don't have to go through me for absolution of your sins. You go straight to Jesus Christ. You go straight to God and ask God to forgive you your sins. And guess what? God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I have no special um, position with God that you've got to come through me and ask me to pray for you. If you are his child, you're his child just like I'm his child. And we're told that you have the opportunity to go through the high priest yourself because you have a priesthood. And you and your priesthood are called to be a set-apart priest, a holy priest, so that we as a people can be a holy nation, a holy people set apart unto God. We wonder why we don't have an effect upon the world when we, as gatherings play the music of the world we dress like the world we act like the world and we wonder why the world doesn't see any difference and yes Donald yesterday I went up to the booth because we were at a different Christian school and they did the exact same thing and I said enough is enough is enough especially when I had a little kid behind me who just asked if I could baptize him because of his faith in Jesus Christ when we go to Florida. And it has a little friend there, and the little friend says, oh, this is my favorite song, and it's ACDC. And they, they begin to sing it at a Christian school. And I just asked them. I went up to the booth. I mean, I was livid. I was everything I could do to control myself and not act like the world, right? And is this a Christian academy? Yeah. Is this music glorifying God? And if you weren't here in Sunday school, if you were in Sunday school, you heard me say that. And one guy looked at me and said, what music? I mean, I was dumb. I, I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I took the words right. I mean, it was like, I was, I wanted to deck him. I, I mean, I, I just, I was like, I'm taking by his throat and just strangle him and say, what do you mean, what music? You're playing it. You know? What music? And the other guy says, I get it. So they stopped. But the tragedy was, and I said, I shared this in Sunday school. They had nothing else to play. Isn't that awful? A Christian school. They didn't have one Christian CD to put on. But they had satanic music to put on. And we wonder why we have no effect upon the world. Do you realize that the divorce rate of Christians is surpassing the divorce rate of the world right now? Of unbelievers. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say the world. But believers, quote-unquote believers. And I say quote-unquote because who knows? 
But the divorce rate of believers is exceeding the divorce rate of those in the world. And I know statistics are wonderful, and so let me be honest on the other side, and that is the, the rate of the, the divorces in the world probably are going down because many of the world aren't getting even get married anymore. They're just living with each other. And so they don't have to get divorced. <laughs> but the sad thing is the numbers, the pure numbers of quote-unquote Christians who are dumping and not being true to the vows that they made is astronomically increasing. Men, do you love your wives like Christ loved the church? Do people who come in contact with you see that? Do they know there's something different about you and how you treat your wife? They ought to. Ladies, do you submit? Not because you have to, not because you're under a thumb, but do you submit willfully to your husband as the church is supposed to? Ephesians says, as the church does for the Lord, but now we have to really look at it as the church is supposed to submit as unto the Lord. And as Sarah did for her husband Abraham and called him Lord. Does the world see a difference in how you treat your husband? Do you treat him with the honor, respect, and reverence that the Bible says that you're supposed to? I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just quoting what the Bible says. And we wonder why the world doesn't see a difference. Because we're not holy, holy, holy. We're not set apart in all of our conduct. We put that aside for Sunday morning. Two hours. Maybe an hour and a half if you want to come for the morning service. Two and a half hours if you come for Sunday school. If you come on Sunday night, you've got to pretend then too. And I don't mean to, to mess with you that you're only pretending. But do you get it? So many times we compartmentalize. This is the time to be holy. No! This is just an extension of my holiness. This is the time when we come to corporately worship God. The rest of my life should be personal worship. I should be individually worshiping God throughout the thing. And I shared this morning, I mean, just how much, how easy it is for that, just that little kernel of darkness to creep in and destroy the light. When this week, when Ben and I were working on that bathroom, and I'm singing amazing grace and amazing love and um, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken, and I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. And, and we were, there was no light in this bathroom, so all we had was a little bit of the sunlight coming in from the, the room. And so I was staying in there, mudding and stuff, so that my eyes could be adjusted and I could see. Ben had to go outside and cut the last couple pieces of drywall. And when he came back in, he was totally blinded by the light. Well, he said that, and instantly my old man kicked in as my, my DJ self, knowing. My life was music just before I, you know, before I got saved. I had thousands of dollars of music. I mean, it didn't matter what kind of music. I knew it, and I know all those words. And so instantly he said that word in a song from 30 years ago, probably longer than that, pops into my brain. And what happens, Ben? I start singing it. I mean, I was in the presence of God, mudding drywall. Do you get it? It was a holy time. It was a worshipful moment. I was rejoicing in the Lord, and somebody inadvertently, not meaning to, said something, and my old flesh grabbed a hold of that computer indice. William, computer guy. You know, I always think about the databases and, and how all those indexes are going on. It's just phenomenal what our brain does, isn't it? I mean, do you, you ever smell something? I mean, you didn't know you smelled it, but all of a sudden this... this this memory came to your mind, and you're thinking, where did that come from? 
It was something you smelled, something you heard distantly, something that your brain indexed it together. I would love for me to have a holy index in my brain. That when I heard something like that, my brain automatically wouldn't go, oh yeah, we got some dirt from 30 years ago to throw in here. Kids, this is to you. Teenagers, you will regret it 30 years from now. I promise you. Putting trash in your brain, it will not go away. Garbage in, garbage out. I don't have to listen to it to remember it. It's there. All I had to do is have somebody say some inadvertent words. He didn't even sing the song. He didn't even know the song to sing it. Didn't even know he was quoting the title of a song. (laughs) He wasn't. But to my old nature, what? He did. Be holy. Holy. Because you are called to be holy. To be set apart as a priest before God. As a holy nation. A people that are set apart so that you can reflect the God who is holy, holy, holy so that the world may know that he is. If you're not going to be sold out to him, who is? We haven't even got to the second part of this. It's our pursuit. It's our pursuit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Turn here with me. Can you tell this is a passion? I wish I could tell you that it's perfection. (laughs) But... I have nowhere near perfection, but it's still a passion. How's that? God, I want to be eradicated of my... And I'm, I'm not using God in that... I'm, I'm calling on God there, just so you know. I, mean, I want to be eradicated of that flesh. I look forward to the day when I'm in His presence. And I can be like Him because I'll see Him as He is. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, we read, Pursue peace with all people. And what? set-apartness, holiness. Look what it says. Without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I know positionally that the peace that passes understanding is the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. And I know the holiness that is being referred to here positionally is the holiness not of Bob, but the holiness of God, Jesus Christ, which is given to me, which is imputed to me when I get saved. So I understand that positionally that I am set apart before God. But note the first word. Pursue it. Follow after it. (coughs) Don't just stop and say, ah, I got saved, therefore I am holy. See, I'm called a saint, right? Therefore, I'm a holy one. I'm a set-apart one. I can do whatever I want to so that grace may abound. Isn't that what Paul said in the end of chapter 5 of the book of Romans? So should I continue to sin that grace may abound? And in chapter 6, verse 1, he starts off saying, No! May it not be so. God forbid. Quit acting like that. That's the way the world thinks. But don't act like the world. Act like God. I mean, Jesus was God on the earth. He had the in. He was God, right? So while he's on the earth, he could act like he wanted to act. Because it was like being TDY, right? I remember when I was in the military, and I was told when you went TDY, it didn't matter what you did, because it was TDY. You know, 
what was done on TDY was left to TDY, and you could be whoever you wanted to be on TDY. And when you came back, you just be who you were. Have you ever heard that, Lawrence? Yeah, it's just TDY. I mean, it's that's part of the, the Army secret. It's TDY. You just go TDY, you know, and, and you do whatever you want. TDY. TDY stands for temporary duty. And so I worked at a test board. We tested all the, the equipment that the Army was going to consider buying that was computers or electronics oriented. And so I traveled a lot all over the the eastern United States and across the Mississippi sometimes and, and spend weeks and months testing the equipment. That they, so like these, these things here, what do, you, what do you call this? It's a cell phone. No, this is mobile subscriber equipment. That's where it came from. It came from the Army. And guess what? I'm old enough to tell you that I was there and we were testing it. And the board that I worked for, we tested it. And we had a site in Belgium, in Italy, in Germany, and in France. And it was mobile subscriber equipment. You know those satellite phones that people like to use? Guess where that started? That was Special Forces Burst Communications System, SFBCS, so that when the Special Forces were out in the jungles, they could take their little sat dish out of their backpack and set it up at a satellite, and they could have a sat phone. Guess what? I'm old enough to tell you that I was a part of that, too. <laughs> but you know what? Whenever we did those things, we went to wherever they were going to use them. Fort Bragg, Fort Hood, Fort Devens, um, uh, Massachusetts. I don't think it's, I think it's there. Is it there anymore? Camp Devens? Anyways, went all of those places. And I remember being told, this is the Army's best-kept secret. Go TDY. And I remember after I got saved, Someone asking me to do something. Now, understand, before I got saved, it was part of what got me saved. Because I realized that I couldn't live to my own standards, okay? So I don't need to go there and glorify sin, okay? But after I got saved, TDY was different. But the people that I hung out with weren't different, and so they wanted me to do what? TDY. And I said, no, I, 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 I don't do that anymore. And they said, oh, no, I'm gonna, this is TDY. remember, it's TDY. I said, no, you don't get it. I'm not doing it just because I think I'm going to get caught. I'm doing it because I want to glorify God. And he's changed me. I want to be holy here just as I'm holy there. And I know I'm imperfect and I'm not there, but I want to be. Are you pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus? Are you pursuing holiness and peace? We have so many verses. We're not going to get to all of them. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it is the culmination of, of the, the previous verses in chapter 6 where it says that what is light to do with darkness? What is Christ to do with Belial? There is no fellowship. There is no agreement. There is no concord between them. So knowing that, be separate. Come out from them and be separate, says your God. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I don't have to act like the world. If I do, it's because I what? I choose to do it. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And understand, I'm not preaching at you. This is, this is all about Bob's struggle in personal holiness. But yet I know that there's no temptations overtaken me, but such as come to man. Isn't that a, such an out for me? I quote that so much, don't I? I mean, so I know that it's common to man. So if I'm struggling, you're struggling too. And so I'm, I'm amongst a group of people who are strugglers. You know, as long as you're struggling, I'm not giving in. I mean, you know, I, 
years ago, I had someone come to me and said, Pastor, I'm struggling with sin. I said, Praise God. <laughs> and they just looked at me, Huh? <laughs> I said, I'm glad you're struggling. I, I'm, too many people are just giving in. They don't really care. There's no struggle at all. <laughs> They're enjoying it. They're wallowing in it. So struggle, brother, struggle. And, uh, but in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, beginning of verse 3, we read, For this is the will of God. You ever know, know God's will for your life is? Isn't God good just to let us know? I mean, I wish God would just tell me what his will is. Okay, here he is. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, your holiness. You know what the word sanctification is in the Greek? Now, I'm going to really stretch the Greek students here because they haven't got this one yet. Can you figure this one out? It's good. It starts hagio. Good. It's hagiosmos. It's hagiosmos. It is is the the participial part, for those who are taking that kind of stuff, of, of of the noun, okay? It is the process of becoming holy or becoming hagias, becoming set apart. So you're called a saint. That's positional. But sanctification is a process. You get it? And so you're a hagias, but you're supposed to be in the process of a hagiasmos. Do you get it? So you're supposed to so even though you are set apart in God's eyes, you are saved. You're set apart, you're his saint. He still wants you to be involved in this process of being set apart become more and more like him, right? So this is God's will. God's will is for you to become increasingly set apart. How do you do that? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Does that describe the United States right now? And guys who like to admire God's creation. I'm just worshiping God and the beauty that he's created. That is a bunch of bunk. You're lusting in your flesh. And Jesus says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed sin with her. You've committed adultery. I grew up in pornography. From the time I was a little guy, I would eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and run to my friend's house, whose family, whose parents had stacks of magazines in their bedroom with a little Sports Illustrated on top of it. But we knew what was under it. And every lunch, I would study those magazines. I understand what lust of the flesh is all about. And I understand what it means even 30 years, 20, so 84 to now is what, 25 years, 26 years later. I understand what it's like still to have garbage in that brain, to have indices that are pointed toward unrighteous, ungodly, unholy things. I understand what it's like to be the weaker brother and to be able to see things or hear things that point me to wrongful things. I understand what it means to fight the war of the mind. And this passage is powerful to me. This is God's will for my life. To abstain. Abstain from sexual immorality. Men, what level of purity do you want in your brain? What level are you willing to accept? I'd like to tell you that 100% of the time it's 100% for me. I know my flesh is there, and I'd be a liar if I told you that I was, I was there. But I can tell you I want to be there. 
I cry because I want to. Because I want to be there. And I know on this earth I never will be. But I want to be there. And I want to deck guys who don't want to be. I want to get in their brain and click the little clicker. <laughs> As I want somebody to get in my brain and click the little clicker when I'm struggling. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Ladies, you're not exempted. You may not struggle with the lust of the flesh like men do. Some do. Some of you ladies do. I, I'm, I know that. And especially in this day and age where that part of life is being dramatized more. It may be relational for you, not sexual. But it's the same thing. You're lusting after something that's not yours. You're coveting your neighbor's husband. You're coveting the, the guy on TV. And it may be not sexual, it may be relational, but it's still immorality before God. It is not holy. It's not set apart. You may be lusting after that dress or that pair of shoes or that purse that's in the window. It's called covetousness. It's unholy. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're supposed to offer our bodies as what? Living sacrifices. And we do that by not conforming ourselves to the world, but being transformed in the renewing of our mind that we may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what did we just saw was God's will for us to be set apart, to be increasingly in the position, in the process of being set apart. Well, how do I do that? By not wanting to look like the world. Quit looking at the world and wanting to be like them. I don't get with the baseball stuff. When I, and, I, and I talk to guys with baseball, but this is the way baseball's played. No, it's the way the world plays. But get it out of your brain. This is just baseball. It's just the way the world. No, it's the way the world plays baseball. You don't have to play baseball that way. You don't have. One of the most intense football players was Reggie White. You guys remember Reggie White? The big defensive end, defensive, hey, defensive end. He wasn't never defensive tackle, defensive end. And he had the sack. He was the, the leader of the sack. I mean, he had the most sacks, which meant that he was rudely going in and dumping the quarterback and falling on him. He was a big old teddy bear who loved God. Preached God's word, and for just a brief moment, he had a stint as an NFL commentator until someone may, asked him a question about homosexuality, and he answered it honestly. <laughs> and that was it. Gone! They don't want holiness there. But this man of God, who's now passed away in his, his presence and rejoicing, I'm sure, was one of the most intense football players you'd ever saw. And people would love to accuse him of being dirty, but he wasn't dirty. He just played intensely. His goal, his mark during that game was to glorify God by sacking that quarterback. That was his job. And he did his job to the glory of God. You get it? When I'm drywalling and I'm mudding, I want when, the, when that wall was painted for no one to know that I ever put tape and mud on it. That's perfection. Do I get it all the time? 
Yes. No, no. I'd love to tell you I do. <laughs> You're all going to hire me. Anyway, no, I don't always get it. But you know what? It's the goal. I'm at another house. We, I'm doing two jobs at the same time right now. I've got to go to the one like 6.45 in the morning because they leave for work so I could do just a little bit of work there. But the, the one wall, not the one with the hole that Chris cut, but the other wall. Chris, what, how did it look? That was, you're being nice, man. You're being nice. <laughs> it's ugly. Somebody mudded it and never used the sandpaper on it. I mean, it's bad. And so I went in with my 60 grit and everything. I didn't have to cut it out. I was going to have to cut it out to fix it, but I was able just to, to sand it down and just put a little bit more skim coat on it to fix it. You get it? I want people, when they look at my life, to be the same, same way. Not to look at this bumpy thing and go, oh, grief. I don't want it to look like that. But I want it, I want it to look like Jesus. For people to say, man, that's something that I can emulate. And so I could be like Paul and say, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I'm not bold enough to tell you that. I hope there's enough in me that's Christ-like that people want to aspire to Christ-likeness. But I know Bob. Man, I know the, the, the things that Bob struggles with. I don't want you to struggle. That's why my kids, I, I don't want them to be 30 years from now struggling with the things that Bob struggles with. I want to greenhouse them, man. I, I want to I protect them. I know they've got to be in the world at one day. I just don't want them to, in their, their formative years, to already make it into a, a negative process. In Ephesians 4, 20-24, you can go there later and look at it, but basically what Ephesians 4 tells me is to put off the old man and put on the, the new man. It's a process. I have to be involved in the process. I have to desire to be recreated in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you want it? Do you really, really? I mean, honestly, not much for me. I mean, there's not going to be calling down the alt to the owl and all that kind of stuff. Before God, do you really want it? Do you really want to emulate God? God's holy, holy, holy. In him, though darkest than all. What about you? What do you want? What do you really want in life? How committed to you are your calling? How committed to your calling are you? And are you honestly pursuing holiness? If you're not, the very first step is you getting on your knees. And you don't have to do this here. You can do it later. Don't forget. You get on your knees before God and ask for his forgiveness. And confess, God, I don't, I haven't been hungering and thirsting for your holiness, to be set apart like you're set apart. But I know you want me to. And so, God, I'm asking you to help me to want it. Because right now, I don't even want it. I mean, I'm being honest. God, I want, a, I want flesh. I want, I want the, the fun of my sin. But I know in here, in me, in my spirit, is crying out something that says, I want you. And I want you more, and I want this. And so, God, help me to want the holiness. Help me to want that eradicated. Help me to pursue you. Help me to have you as my vision, as my focus. Help me to have the desire, God, to be holy as you are holy. Help me to, as we're going to conclude here with our song, to take time to be holy. Help me to take time to be set apart, to be in your word, to be in your presence, to be conformed to the image of your blessed Son. Help me to be the light 
in this world that you've called me to be. Not to be hidden under a bushel, but to be out there burning bright so that all may observe the good works that you're doing in me and they may glorify your name. Is it what you want or not? Let's pray. Father, forgive me for waxing long, for going over the time that I desire, and yet, Lord, it's your truth and it's what's important. Lord, forgive me as well for this clearly the times of my life that pride takes over and my thoughts are led astray through lust, through messages that I have inadvertently or intentionally memorized in the past, through song, through script. Lord, I desire to be holy as you are holy. I desire to be holy, holy, holy. I know that's not going to happen here. You alone are the Holy One. You alone are holy, holy, holy. But yet, Lord, you've asked me to be holy as you are holy. And I want it. I want it. And I know that it's only going to happen when I come into your presence. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me and these others as well at least in that small way here on the earth, to be in your presence. To take time to be holy. To take time to be in your presence. To speak with you. To hear from you. To think about you. To meditate upon you. To ask for your advice and wisdom and counsel. To consider your statutes. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that seek you with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in your ways. You have commanded us. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. And then I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous statutes, thy righteous judgments. O Lord, put me not to shame. In Jesus' name, amen.